I try to not be in a scarcity mindset. I like abundance mentality, but I live in the scarcity mindset. But like Bitcoin is the scarcity mindset, right? And I feel like this triggers heightened scarcity of Bitcoin before the halving. Yeah, so the BlackRock ETF is apparently scheduled to be decided on like a couple months before the halving. So it's possible that you have a spot ETF go into the public markets right before the halving. And if that happens, yeah, you're probably going to see some volatility in the price of Bitcoin one way or another. Ooh, okay. to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon. And, and we're, we're the, the Recephies. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm, this ain't your grandma's podcast. This is Podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola, Spain, Argentina, Brazil, and Portugal. Guten Tag, Germany. Hello, Canada and the United Kingdom. Buongiorno, Italy. Sawadi, Thailand. Konnichiwa, Japan. Bonjour, France. And, and howdy, howdy to Texas. Texas. And hello of all ways to say it to everyone in America. Hopefully having a great 4th of July weekend. Is that this weekend? Yes. Oh yeah, we'll get the, we'll get it out before Fourth of July. Yeah, because we're we're going on a trip, and we were on a trip last weekend. So uh, you know, getting practice with taking the baby places, and in all that excitement, um, we haven't been able to record. So we're back. And what time is it, babe? The current time is seven nine six two eight seven. We're approximately two thousand and sixty three blocks since our last recording. And we are 43,713 blocks until the halving. And if I give you one US dollar, how many acres could I get on sunny Bitcoin Island? Today you could get 3,310 acres, aka Satoshis, on sunny Bitcoin Island. And what about other tangible things like eggs, beef, gas? I don't know how to explain this, but eggs have gone down 50%. Okay, so that crisis might be over. I mean, maybe. Again, I th- these numbers are coming from PricedInBitcoin21.com, and currently 
Eggs are 3,673 Satoshis for a dozen. And last time we recorded, they were 7,753 Satoshis for a dozen. So, Well, the price also of Bitcoin went up. Yeah, it did. But it didn't go up 50%. Okay. Right? So I, I don't get- feel like I've seen a price change in the grocery store, though. But maybe it's coming later. Yeah. Or they've just kept the prices up because they can. Well, this, this goes back to like, as long as we keep using PricedInBitcoin21.com as like our data source, these changes will happen precisely, but not accurately. Got it. Same thing with ground beef. Uh, last time we recorded 17,900 Satoshis. This Today, it's 11,900 Satoshis. So that's almost 50% there. And gas is down also 9,600 Satoshis down to 8,700 Satoshis. So everything got cheaper since the last time we recorded. Maybe generally, but also because of the price of Bitcoin. What what do you guys say? It boosted or what's the term for it that you kept using? I have no idea what you're talking about. Bitcoin popped. That's what you say. Oh. You kept looking at me and like, babe, Bitcoin popped. I mean, it's on the move. It's on the move. Okay, okay. Now you're playing it cool. That's what you kept saying all weekend. It moved about 10% in a week. Mm-hmm. When Bitcoin doesn't move for like three or four months and then moves 10% in a week, there's, there's stocks that have it moved 1% in a year. Mm-hmm. People who are looking at Bitcoin as their savings vehicle and or making a little investment on the side, um, to see a 10% gain in a week, that's just like, that's just nice in general, especially if you got in before that. But I think that based on some of the stories that we're going to talk about in this episode, you can expect to see those types of moves more frequently for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, when I was pulling up the data for this episode, um, priced in Bitcoin, they kind of changed their UI a little bit um, and they added a new metric. Maybe it was there before, but I don't think it was because I hadn't I had scrolled that site pretty thoroughly. But they have um, a new metric, which is uh, wages. So they had the UK, Canada and the United States average annual wage. And the United States average annual wage is just under two Bitcoin right now, 197 million Satoshis. So like over time, you can expect that number to go down also, Okay. right? So it's not just us as consumers benefiting from everything getting cheaper, but fundamentally, like if you're getting paid in Bitcoin, labor gets cheaper also. Mm -hmm. So that's like something to expect to see play out in the future when businesses start realizing like, oh, we don't have to negotiate salary increases every year. We have to negotiate salary decreases every year. Um, I get paid in Bitcoin. You do? Yeah, on the podcast. Get it? Fountain boosts? Yeah. yeah, Keep up, kid. Keep up. Yeah, you know, like um, I was joking over the weekend with uh, my dad and I was saying like, you know, we've had some pretty big boosts uh, from some individuals. Oi, Leaf for the Ladies is a good example of that. But, you know, if everyone, I said, if everyone just gave us like a dollar's worth of Satoshis, like that's really all we would need Mm -hmm. based on the listeners and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. So like, it's just very interesting to think like, there's no way that I can force people to pay a dollar to listen, right? That's not how Fountain works. But like, if that was like the going rate, I just understood like this could totally like be a full time thing. Ain't that the dream? All right, it's time for shout outs. Here are the top boosts over 500 sats from episode 
65 Binance. Remember, 1% of all sats earned this episode are going to the Sparrow Wallet Project. Shout out to Gene Everett, Hunter SF770, Alexis, Zordon, Top Cone, and Anukul. Yeah, and on that topic of Sparrow Wallet, uh, Sparrow Wallet has a new update released. So if you've donated, if you've, you know, boosted or streamed sats over the last like two or three episodes, um, you kind of help fund Sparrow version 1.7.7 that was just released. And that's how easy it should be to support open source software. <laughs> and there's a bunch of cool stuff that they added. I won't go into all the details, but there was a release um, this past week. I also want to reply to Alexis. Alexis said, great. I really like the idea of splits to open source projects like Sparrow Wallet. I see the splits correctly in Fountain. I also sent you from podcast guru where I couldn't see it there. So this is one of the things about Fountain and splits is that not all podcasting 2.0 apps are created equal. And this splitting concept is not like a standardized thing that's part of the protocol yet. So uh, it's coming. Um, You know, the podcast apps are working on like a standardized format, but you might not see it as a split in your app that you're using if you're not using Fountain. So just keep that in mind. But if you go to Fountain, you'll see the splits. You'll see who's getting what um, for every episode. And we're just going to keep it on Sparrow Wallet for the moment since that's like the the most used open source product that I use. But we have something in the works with the Fountain team where we're going to try to fund more projects um, than just Sparrow Wallet. But for now, 1% goes to Sparrow Wallet. And Ian is being a little like humble here, but this idea he had, like it was his idea first and the fountain team really liked it and so it's going to be something that hopefully other podcasters do and it can change kind of the culture of at least this community and how they support open source projects yeah i mean i'm proud of you babe thanks yeah you know i reached out some to some other projects besides sparrow wallet and you know it's twitter so i understand like you get a random dm you don't know who i am number one Number two, like, do you even check your DMs, you know? But so far, I've gotten like five or six open source projects that like do have a lightning node that I can add in as a public key to add to the splits. And we're going to start changing it up, which project we fund later. But I'm trying to get up to a list of 21. So if you know any other open source projects that have a lightning node or just a project that you would like to see funded, like I can reach out to them and see like if they have a lightning node, but just in the comments and or on Twitter, just say like, it'd be really cool if you guys funded insert whoever project that you think is is cool and, and could use the funding. And I also want to reply to JF Ravelo. I hope I'm saying that right. Basically, their comment was that they were kind of new to all of this and they were still struggling with understanding how Ethereum and other things were a scam. So I would say to you, listen to episode 10. Uh, NFT stands for Digital Beanie Babies. That's a good primer on most of the scams that happened in this past cycle. And then listen to episode 11, which is literally titled How to Spot an Altcoin Scam. I'll say those are two of my favorite episodes and I recommend them to people all the time because I had a lot of questions in that space. And Ian just initially when we started the podcast refused to talk to me about those things. He was like, no, Bitcoin only, Bitcoin only. And so it took some convincing and I think it was when I, like, I, I'm assuming you thought you were a little comfortable with my understanding of Bitcoin to be like, all right, we'll talk about NFTs. We'll talk about altcoins. I wanted to bring up, because 
The NFT stands for Digital Beanie Babies. That whole conversation that we have on that episode. Listen to it if you haven't yet. There is a Beanie Baby movie coming out. It's coming out next month and it's called The Beanie Bubble. And it's the story of Ty Warner, the (laughs) salesperson, salesman, um, who like worked with, I guess, three other women. um, And they grew this idea into becoming like the biggest toy craze in history. And just from the, the trailer covers a lot. It's a very, uh, I think, high production value uh, movie that's coming. So I think like it's a big project. Zach Galifianakis plays Ty Warner and um, Elizabeth Banks is on there. Just a lot of other stars are involved. But I think that this is going to just lay out exactly what's happening with altcoins right now. But it's going to show how it happened with Beanie Babies. But like even in the trailer, I'm seeing like this is what's going on in the crypto world. These people are becoming insanely rich, and then like the money well goes dry. Yeah, yeah, and and like and and so I think it's interesting how this plays out. There's also another movie that's gonna come out about the GameStop phenomenon that happened two years ago. Yeah, I think I saw I saw something for that the other day actually. Yeah, so that one's also like big production value movie. Sebastian Stan, Seth Rogen. They're uh, in this uh, putting out this movie called Dumb Money, and I think it's kind of more like a maybe a Wolf of Wall Street or Social Network. Like I think it's like uh, that kind of movie where it's like, oh, they really pissed off these people and they're coming after them. Um, so yeah, I think that movie is going to be really interesting because. I remember when before you taught me Bitcoin, you were teaching me stocks and it was like, this is all it's all a game. It's all fake. And so I think it's really cool that there are these two big movies that are going to come out um, kind of in the vein of like Wolf of Wall Street that taught people a little bit about the smart market. This is going to show even like more deeper into how how fake it is almost. Uh, so I don't know. I thought it was really cool that those two movies are coming out. And so I hope that becomes more of like the mainstream conversation for people to then kind of connect the dots to Bitcoin, right? Like none of this is real money. You have actual real money that you're missing out on and it's popping. <sighs> What's wrong, babe? I don't know. I guess I'm worried I'm not saving enough money in Bitcoin. Aren't we all? You don't seem worried. Like with most things, you just gotta set a goal and work towards it. But even with a goal, the price of Bitcoin changes so much, it's hard to keep track. I understand. That's why I created the Satoshi Savings Calculator. And how can that help? First, you decide how much Bitcoin you want to acquire. One Bitcoin. Great. Then you gotta decide how much time you want to give yourself to acquire that Bitcoin. Before the next halving, duh. That's also great because the calculator only lets you pick halving dates. Anything else I need to enter? Just how often you want to buy and which currency you want to use. Oh, so rather than buying it all at once? To loosely quote Desmond Tutu, if you want to save a whole Bitcoin, you gotta do it like you eat an elephant. One bite at a time. That's gross, Ian. But true. Focus, babe. Where can I find this calculator? The pod's website, flirtingwithbitcoin.com. Wait, you haven't been to the website yet? Um, let's get back to the show. Thank you so much for the info, babe. All right. So like I said, we were traveling this past weekend. We did our first ever trip with Keon. Like we left the state, we put him in a car and we drove and he somehow didn't lose his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Even though our rental car lost air conditioning, he ended up being kind of in the car seat for 10 hours. Um, He was a gem and we don't deserve him. 
Uh, but I have not been paying attention to anything, let alone Bitcoin. So what's going on? What's like the hot goss? <laughs> what's the news that I need to know? We got to keep up with some stories that we've already talked about. Okay. Um, so we got a little Noster news. Oh, yeah. So Domus actually removed <gasps> zapping from their app oh to stay in the app store. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Apple One. Uh, maybe Apple One as in O-N-E, Domus Zero. Oh. But I don't think Apple One as in, as in W-O-N. Okay. Um, Tell me more. Domus is a very small app and has, maybe, maybe they have like a million installs, right? But the issue at hand is an issue that's been brought up by very large companies, which is Apple's app store decides what you're able to do with your apps. And Apple has decided that zaps are a form of tipping and tipping needs to behave a certain way. And if it doesn't behave that certain way, you can't have your app on the app store. But as we talked about in the last episode, like it reveals the hypocrisy, which is like there are other apps that you can tip. And don't have to give a cut to Apple. Like, this is not a ubiquitous rule across the board. Mm -hmm. And so normally, when they do stuff to apps like this, like Domus, right? An app with, like, very few users, there's no real backing. Like, maybe the people who like the app get mad and say, like, oh, I'm going to delete my iPhone or, you know, I'm going to get rid of iPhone and go to Android or whatever. But Domus actually has, like, the backing of Jack Dorsey. And so Jack Dorsey, while he's, I mean, he might be an investor in some shadow way or whatever, but... Jack Dorsey's more just an advocate for Noster and an advocate for Domus because Domus is a Noster client. But Jack Dorsey's actually going pretty hard on this, saying, like, WTF, like, this does not make sense, and demanding Apple explain themselves. And so normally when apps like that are small get you know get beat up by Apple like this, yeah, there's no It's done, it's end of story. It's done. Like yeah. you might get into like some tech news blog, but you don't get like somebody coming in to like actually <laughs> use some of their their clout. To, to, to get this issue resolved. So I think they took zapping off simply to just stay in the app store, right? Like it's not really worth it at the moment, but zapping hasn't gone away, right? Like you could still use Android clients that zap. You can still use web browsers that mm -hmm. zap. Apple's just saying like, if it's distributed through our app store, you can't have this one feature, but they haven't they haven't killed the feature. Uh, I just looked it up and Forbes did a, an article on it. So yeah, you're right. It's a little in the mainstream. Right. And so there's a lot of people, a lot of companies like Activision and Blizzard and the people who make Fortnite and a lot of other people like have just been like, yo, this is this is literally a monopoly control over, you know, whatever. Now I would argue. Oh, I guess Elon Musk said something too. Yeah, yeah, because because what's going to happen is Elon, like I said. I the, mean, they're coming. Apple's been coming after Twitter too. Well, Apple's got their own thing about Twitter, yeah. but like Elon has been planning on something of a version of zapping, maybe not using Bitcoin and Lightning and all of that fun stuff. But like I said in our last recording, like Elon, you're not going to be able to do that. Like Apple just established that you're not able to do that. Maybe that's who the firing, the warning shot was actually at. You know, maybe this isn't about Domus and Zaps. Maybe this is about Elon bringing his own version of Zaps to Twitter and Apple just getting ahead of it. We don't know. You know, when we started the pod, I just kept looking for evidence that Bitcoin was money and like different organizations that are saying that Bitcoin is money. That ship has kind of passed for me to agree that Bitcoin is money. But when I see something like this, it's a pretty... 
like loud signal to say if there is an app that so supposedly tips Bitcoin, then that's money being exchanged. I mean, technically, you know, Apple's Apple's contention was that there's a certain way you have to do it. And zaps don't conform to that prescribed way of paying for digital content. Right. But but I, I, I do think that you're correct in that, like, it's gotten to the point now where a company like Apple is actually making policy around whether or not these Domus isn't a Bitcoin app. It's not like it's a Bitcoin wallet. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's a an exchange. You know, it's not like it's the Coinbase app or something like that. Right. right? Like they are literally targeting a specific feature of an app that uses a functionality of Bitcoin. Yeah, that allows you to ex- to to exchange Bitcoin. Well, it's not exchanging; it's just sending. Yeah, and so like the first wave, of, I would say the first wave of like the fight of these apps was just: Are they going to allow Bitcoin wallets on Apple? Are they going to allow all those things to exist on their platform? And that one, for the most part, they've kind of let slide. This is just a very interesting development. We're going to just keep an eye on it. But if you're interested in Noster, you don't have a Noster account and you want to experience Zaps, you can use um, Android clients. There's a, the one that I use is called Amethyst. There's a another one called Onyx now. Um, and you can also use web browser apps like Snort and uh, I think Primal had just integrated Zaps. Snort, burp, fart. Yeah, I mean. Sorry, these names are ridiculous. <laughs> That's the tech world for you. That is the tech world for you. Um, ironically, part of the reason why the names are so ridiculous is because you're just trying to find a unique domain. Right. And so real words are all taken. I know, like flirting with Bitcoin.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I for, no we thought of it first and it was available we didn't change anything we didn't change it but like to have a one word name like you yeah. can't get flirt.com you no. can't get flirting.com you can't get bitcoin.com right like the one word things are all taken and so if you want a one word app that you want to say to someone over the phone or something it's like yeah snort zazzle I mean I just hear snort and I think the white stuff. That sounds. They like knew a, what they were doing. I mean, I guess I don't know. I've never thought of it like that. Oh, I but, don't know. But yeah, so that's the Noster news. I guess it was inevitable, but I don't know why I was rooting for Domus to fight back. Well, they're gonna fight back, right? Like they'll probably now make an Android app. Number one. Um, number two, they might also make a web app. Yeah. Right. Number three, um, probably not this year, but I think Apple will have to just completely reverse position on all of this because i think that zapping is going to be the killer app of bitcoin in the next cycle right so like this cycle was really all about lightning Mm -hmm. i think the next cycle is going to be all about existing things probably not twitter but if we're lucky twitter right but existing things integrating this concept of like hey i like that here's a little bit of money and when that's the killer app across the board and it's and it's ubiquitous and every kind of app has it they're going to ban every app yeah well, then all they just those... change their whatever supposed to yeah. policy. Yeah. So I, I think Apple will have to relent on this one, but they won't do it unless it becomes like iMessage, right? Like iMessage is such a big thing for Apple users and like, ooh, you green bubble people, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if Apple all of a sudden and Apple products become the green bubble of like the tech world, ooh. right? Like that's fundamentally what I think is going to happen is that if they do block zapping in any app that integrates it, 
then all of a sudden it's like the conversation becomes Apple doesn't want you to make money through their phone. They don't want you to win. They don't. <laughs> and so like, you know, I could ar- you could argue that Fountain is on the chopping block, but they got an Android app. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has an Android app or will have an Android app if Apple doesn't change. So I think that Ooh, like... Oh, I didn't think about Fountain. Yeah, Fountain's probably next. Yikes. <laughs> right? But Fountain has an Android app. Domus is iOS only. Right. So to leave the app store would have been just like chopping them at, off at the, the waist. Right. The knees actually at the neck. They'd have been dead. All right. Stay on top of this, babe. So a lot of stuff has happened in the Bitcoin world. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of it. Obviously, a week and a half, a lot could happen. But the one thing that I want to get into especially is the BlackRock ETF to kind of catch everyone up to where we are uh, so far this year. um, The SEC has done a crackdown on Binance and Coinbase. After that crackdown, a bunch of other exchanges have just voluntarily shut down or are leaving the United States, such as um, Crypto.com. And right after all of this enforcement activity, BlackRock, uh, with about $10 trillion with assets under management, files for an ETF with the SEC. And a little known fact that I've learned during all of this is that BlackRock has only ever had one ETF rejected by the SEC. So if this ETF gets approved, it will be very different than the current popular ETF uh, Grayscale, which is a way for people to hold Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin without actually buying Bitcoin. It's paper Bitcoin. It's very paper Bitcoin um, in the sense that the Grayscale ETF doesn't actually redeem, doesn't let the, the holders redeem for Bitcoin. So you can't, you can't like get Bitcoin out of the Grayscale ETF. Allegedly, this BlackRock ETF, you will be. Maybe not you, the individual, but if you're buying your ETF shares through a trading house, the trading house themselves will be able to ask for the the Bitcoin. Um, and I think I saw somewhere where like the minimum to request is one Bitcoin. So like if you have like one share of the ETF, you're not getting any Bitcoin out. But the point here is that like it's a spot ETF. So every day they have to ensure that they are tracking the, the actual price of Bitcoin. So... This is a big deal because you didn't say this, but you had said this offline. This means BlackRock is going to buy a bunch of Bitcoin all at once if they haven't already. We don't know. You know, last year when we were doing our podcast, we said BlackRock was getting into offering Bitcoin. Now they have this ETF. They might already have the Bitcoin, right? Like they might already have been buying this whole time also. Having the Bitcoin and filing for an ETF are two very different things. But let's say they don't have the Bitcoin or as much Bitcoin as they want, or they're really about to aggressively get into the Bitcoin business. There isn't that much Bitcoin out there to buy, right? No. So, uh, you know, as this is all happening, people start throwing out metrics and stuff like that. And so available supply of Bitcoin on all exchanges is at like a two year low or something like that. So after all the FTX and Celsius stuff, everyone got the message. Take your Bitcoin off the exchange. Take your Bitcoin off the exchange. Then you got this 
uh, Binance and um, Coinbase stuff going on. Take your Bitcoin off the exchange. Take your Bitcoin off the exchange. So people have just been withdrawing all of their Bitcoin from these exchanges. But that doesn't mean that it's not out there for them to buy, right? Like Coinbase holds a lot of Bitcoin for other people. You know, if you want to buy $500 million worth of Bitcoin, Coinbase can probably broker that transaction for you without having to go to like individual people that are selling like $1,000 of Bitcoin here and there, mm-hmm. right? So like when those transactions happen, they don't necessarily show up in order books. If they don't show up in an order book, people don't actually understand that a certain amount of Bitcoin has moved to understand that, oh, BlackRock just bought $100 million of Bitcoin from somebody. Now, where you'll see it, because Bitcoin is an open ledger. Yeah, you see it on the blockchain. If it gets moved. Okay. But, but if someone just hands you a key or wallet, sorry. No, that's the, that's the small time way, right? Yeah. Like for individual people. But yeah. For someone like BlackRock, they're going to, if I, if I recall correctly, they're going to use Coinbase as the custodian of all the Bitcoin that this ETF holds. Mm-hmm. So if BlackRock buys $100 million worth of Bitcoin from somebody who's also using Coinbase as the custodian, that transaction might not show up on the blockchain, right? Because Coinbase is just going to move some digits in their ledger and say, uh. now BlackRock is entitled to that much Bitcoin, okay. right? So like, it's not guaranteed that this is going to move the price. But the ETF itself will have to report how much Bitcoin it has. So when that reporting happens, that's when you'll see, oh, we can factor that into the overall supply and say if it's in the ETF, it's locked up and it gets removed from circulating supply. And people will do that, right? Like that's people just track like what's the available amount of Bitcoin out there. But it does move the price in a less technical manner because it's not just BlackRock, right? It's uh, BlackRock and like three or four, maybe five other other institutions that are all filing for their Bitcoin ETFs now. A lot of people are saying like, get your Bitcoin before they get approved because like you're saying, oh, they got to buy it, right? Yeah. So it's kind of just like, it's a momentum trade. All these spot ETFs could get rejected. It is possible that the SEC says no. Why would they say no? Because they are a regulatory body and they can arbitrarily say no to something. Whatever, whatever. I do what I want. So like, it could be. That's my Cartman impersonation. (laughs) Was that good? (laughs) Uh, sure why not um you know i try to not be in the scarcity mindset i mean i like abundance mentality but i live in the scarcity mindset but like bitcoin is the scarcity mindset right and i feel like this triggers heightened scarcity of bitcoin before the halving yeah so the blackrock etf is apparently scheduled to be decided on like a couple months before the halving. So it's possible that you have a spot ETF go into the public markets right before the halving. And if that happens, yeah, you're probably going to see some volatility in the price of Bitcoin one way or another. Ooh, okay. But like I said, or like you just said, actually, like the scarcity mindset, yes, Bitcoin is digital scarcity. So every Bitcoin that we have or someone else has is Bitcoin that BlackRock can't have. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they don't have it right now, and, and you know, like they're gonna they're gonna open this up, and people are gonna put cash into it. They're gonna have to go acquire that amount of Bitcoin for the cash that they take in. We'll see. We'll see who's willing to sell it to them. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna be any Bitcoin that's been around for a decade. I will offer them one hundred satoshis for a million dollars just to start the the negotiations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how all Bitcoiners should do it. You could offer them 100 Satoshis for a million dollars. Like that would be a very interesting transaction on the blockchain. Um, <laughs> but the, the idea here is that like 
there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that hasn't moved. Like it's been in an address and has not moved in over 10 years. So we can assume the majority of that Bitcoin is just not for sale. Okay. And when you look at how much Bitcoin has not moved in 10 years, it's constantly going up. So you can almost assume that there's Bitcoin that hasn't moved in five years that just hasn't sat for 10 to show up in the 10. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, the number of Bitcoin that hasn't moved in 10 years keeps increasing, meaning most people aren't going to sell. So if BlackRock needs to go acquire this, this Bitcoin and all of these now companies, BlackRock, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, they're all going to be competing over what appears to be about 3 million Bitcoin. Like that's what's left to fill up their coffers for their financial products. Forget about like buying it from me or you. Like they're going to have to compete financially with each other for the remaining Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's where you're going to. It's like whoever bribes the SEC to get approved first. But I guess they could be buying in the meantime. But again, like we don't, we'll, we'll know how this all plays out. But the point that I'm getting at is like us. Us as Bitcoiners, all we have to do is keep dollar cost average, right? Like if you want to, if you, if you want to front run and you want to smash buy more Bitcoin, like that's great. This is just, you know, probably more conviction that anybody who's buying Bitcoin for the past couple of years would need to know like, no, this is probably a secure thing. You know, this is probably a thing that's going to be around for another 10 years. BlackRock isn't going to file an ETF, put a bunch of money into it, and then let it get banned, mm-hmm. right? Like they would spend their money to lobby to be like, you're gonna you're gonna cost me to lose a bunch of money. So like, this is just another feather in the cap of like the legitimacy of Bitcoin. Uh, le- the legitimacy of Bitcoin showing that like, these major institutions are coming. Everyone's been saying they're coming for a while. This is literally them coming. And it's all going to happen in the next 12 months. So next 12 months, you got at least three or four ETFs and the halving. Let the games begin. I'm not here to talk about price, but last little bit of the price action is that we did see a run up in Bitcoin the last couple of weeks, right? And everyone's been trying to figure out what's been going on. Well, a lot of people believe that it was Michael Saylor because I don't know if it was yesterday or today. He tweeted that they've bought like another 10,000 Bitcoin for like $300 million. Wow. And so people are now starting to extrapolate like, okay, Michael Saylor put in whatever the number was. I think it was like $300 million and it moved it 10%. And he obviously didn't buy it all at once. He did like spread out. They do like spread out buys and whatever. It's called limping in, right? You don't buy all at once. You just kind of keep buying a little bit. But just trying to acquire 10,000 Bitcoin, move the price. BlackRock is bringing trillions. Fidelity is bringing billions. Like they're bringing billions of dollars. This was like a $300 million purchase. So all these things are happening and the amount of Bitcoin that's available to be purchased is just decreasing over time. And I'm not saying that no one's gonna sell their Bitcoin. Obviously, people have their own line in the sand. They're like, I'm going to sell some. I'm going to live well and, you know, go start that passion project. Are we one of those people? I mean, I got a number. We'll see if it hits it. Okay. Uh, But the point is, is that like, I doubt that it's going to hit it this cycle. It is feeling a little inevitable, though, for it to be really crazy a year from now. The price of Bitcoin with everything happening. Exactly. The, the, The price of Bitcoin is only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is always like 
sentiment and sentiment can move price and price can move sentiment but last year or going into the end of last year the sentiment was just really negative you had all that ftx stuff at the end of that year after all of the celsius and collapsing that happened during the summer but it seems like this year as far as bitcoin is concerned there's been very little negative news mm-hmm. until this week what happened well it's not really bitcoin news but <laughs> i mean like it's, it's bitcoin news in the sense that like we've been talking about this for a while which is prime trust and swan and strike and and all of that right last time we recorded prime trust was in the process of negotiating a possible acquisition from a company i believe called bitgo and that acquisition fell through Shortly thereafter, it was revealed that Prime Trust had actually a hole in their balance sheet and that they were missing some funds for people who's crypto or whatever they've been holding. Um, and so it turns out that Prime Trust, the company who uh, was the main third party custodian for Strike and Swan up until very recently, and whose CEO who had left abruptly very recently, they lost the keys to some of their wallets. So what does that mean they don't have the keys? Like they got hacked? No, they... Um, Someone stole it? We'll find out. Well, like they're, they're probably claiming negligence, but I bet you someone stole it. We'll find out. Like mm-hmm. this, all this stuff will come out. Um, but the short of it is that let's say you're, you're, you're holding 100 Bitcoin for 50 people, but you only have the keys yeah. to 80 Bitcoin. As long as no one asks for their Bitcoin, you're technically okay. But if everyone asks for their Bitcoin at the same time... Like a bank run. Exactly. So losing the keys would have been tragic, but fixable. Mm -hmm. But what it appears that they did to fix this hole is that they were going to basically gamble and make it back. Gamble with what? With user funds. Like buying and selling crypto, crypto, just like like everybody else was doing. All right. So... uh, And how old is Prime Trust? Is it a new company? I mean, the Bitcoin's only 14 years old. I mean, is it like an FTX kind of situation? Like a young ingenue? <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, Prime Trust has been around as long as Strike and, okay. and Swan because they've been their custodian. Now, to be clear, like people were pointing out that there was something fishy going on at Prime Trust. This might be it. There might be more. But the point is, is that basically when the BitGo deal fell through which I'm guessing is it fell through because they saw this hole. Mm. Uh, now the state of Nevada has taken Prime Trust into receivership. So it's basically a bankrupt company now. All the assets are going to be held. They're going to have to figure out who gets what. It's not as bad as, say, like FTX, but it's basically the same I mean, thing. FTX is as bad as it gets. Yeah, FTX is like the... Uh, until Coinbase. <laughs> FTX is pretty bad. Um, but the point here is that, like, I forget the numbers... Off the top of my head, let me pull them up real quick. It is understood that Prime's financial status is such that it owes, in fiat currency, $85,670,000 to its clients, but has $2,904,000 in fiat currency, equaling an $82 million liability. But what about... As digital currency goes, Prime owes $69 million to its clients, but only has $68 million in digital currency. With consideration of the above, Prime is in an unsafe financial condition and or is insolvent. Additionally, Prime's condition will only be progressively worsened as customers continue to withdraw from Prime. So this is the statement that was made by the judge. 
as it was being taken into receivership. When you saw Swan and Prime scrambling mm-hmm. to get off of that platform, whether they knew 100% of what was going on or just got enough of a whiff that's like, we need to get away from these guys, yeah. I think it's more the latter because I don't think Prime Trust would have told anyone this, but probably people that work there. Or the who, court case, maybe. The court case is new. Yeah. What I'm saying is that the people who work there, who probably, a few of them are Bitcoiners and probably mm-hmm. like Strike and Swan. Yeah. We could tell you, Ooh, right? So is this bad for Bitcoin? Well, or is it just like, I mean, I don't understand why this is bad for Bitcoin. This isn't explicitly bad for Bitcoin, but... This could have been really bad for Bitcoin because if Strike and mm. Swan had got taken down with all of this, like, oh, all of our customers' money is stuck yeah. in this company that just went bankrupt, that probably would have hurt Bitcoin. Speaking of Swan, their YouTube channel's back up. Should have never been down. Yeah, I know, but still. It's an update. It is. It, yeah, it's back up. You were watching it, so it's back up. But the, the point here is that, like, the lesson about what's going on with Prime Trust is that this cycle, you know, this four-year cycle was basically the cycle of third-party holding your Bitcoin, right? Like, you're using an app, but it turns out that app is using some other company to hold your Bitcoin, right? Um, that happened to Gemini. With their product, they're still trying to get their money back. That almost happened to Swan. That almost happened to Strike. Technically, other people's money is being held by Prime Trust. I don't know who they are, right? They're not just holding Swan and Strike, but those are the two companies that I care about. But the point is, is that like this lesson needs to be drilled home to everyone during this cycle. Because if you get caught up in something like this in the next cycle, no sympathy. Like every cycle, there's something new that has to be learned. Right. And this was the learning of this cycle. In addition to NFTs and all that. A lot right? happened this cycle. A lot happened this cycle. Yeah. But fundamentally, it is if you don't hold your Bitcoin, which is the lesson every cycle, mm-hmm. you just get tricked out of your Bitcoin in different ways. Mm-hmm. But if you don't hold your Bitcoin. It ain't yours. Episode is going well, yeah? I think so. Wish I had the time to make some clips to promote it. Yeah, but you don't. That's why we pay our listeners to do that. Mm, how does that work again? When someone makes a clip on Fountain, we send them some sets. But give me the fine print, baby. It's 250 for the current episode and 100 for the older ones. And also if they tweet it out, right? They gotta use the hashtag flirtingwithbitcoinclips and post it on Noster for me to see it. Then I'll zap those same amounts. That's pretty generous, babe. Our listeners are pretty generous with their time making the clips. Well, isn't this just a lucrative love fest for us all? More like it pays to listen to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. So, of course, Bitcoin popped or went up or moved, whatever you want to say it. And people reaching out to me like, oh, my God, I should have bought Bitcoin. (laughs) You're now part of that crew. It's just so fun. I'm like, you can buy it right now. It is. There's no way. Like, and it's so funny to me how people are excited about 30K because I'm like, sure, but like, it's going to go up more. Or like people who have a little Bitcoin that are like, oh, my God, it's gone up so much. I'm like, don't you sell that. Hold on to it. This ain't nothing. Oh, it's so it's so funny to me. It's so interesting to me. Like, and I think it's people who invest in stocks, which I, you know, I didn't do. Or they invest in things that they don't know much about. Yep. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, my God, it's gone up. Well, this is crazy. And it's like, OK, there might not be a lot of information when it comes to different companies in the stock market. But like 
I have a podcast about Bitcoin. Can you just listen to it and not let me know all the time that you don't listen to my podcast? <laughs> the thing about the stock investment, it's actually the other way around. Companies have to give a lot of information. It's called a 10K. They have to file it. They always have to file paperwork. Yeah. Like, here's how the business is doing. Here are the threats. Here's what you're investing in. Like, they have to do it. Um, and people don't read that. Yeah. Right. But they'll invest. But also, in- like, there's some fabrication and exaggeration that can happen in those documents. Yes, especially they can. projections. Yes, they can. But fundamentally, if there is too much fabrication and too much, uh, if there's too much fabrication, you actually can claim damages. Mm-hmm. So they they have to keep it to a minimum, and usually the ones that overfabricate a lot end up getting in trouble. Right. I think a great example of that would be the the Nikola. Uh, truck company oh i forgot about them right so the stock market because they're forced to file all that paperwork has like an air of transparency but in actuality like you're saying like there's no transparency you don't know what they're going to do from one day to the next you hear about what they did right and also like someone could just tweet something that messes everything up and they could um but 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 more importantly is that because you don't know what they're going to do the only way you would know what a company's going to do is if you're on the board mm-hmm. so if you're not on the board of a company you can only get information that's literally given to you when it comes to bitcoin there is no board there is no secret cabal of insiders that like control the price Um, And even if there were, they could only control the price with fiat money that they're printing. So it's only going to go up. Michael Saylor, he could just dump all of his Bitcoin one day. I mean, he could, but then his company would fail. Mm -hmm. Right? Like his company. Yeah, but he's made himself a pretty powerful player. If he were to dump all his Bitcoin, he would, A, garner ill will from all the Bitcoiners. Mm -hmm. So there's no more Michael Saylor on YouTube. Like he would... Oh no, this billionaire lost access to a YouTube fandom. But the point is is, is that like, the reason why he's all in on Bitcoin is because it's good for him Mm -hmm. and it's good for his business. If it stops being good for his business, sure, we can expect him to sell. But it's done nothing but increase the profitability of his company Mm -hmm. and he's showing this openly because he has to file all this paperwork all the other business owners in america and in the world can look at what michael saylor's done at microstrategies and say yeah maybe i should hold my company's cash in something that can't just be printed out of thin air Mm -hmm. and so no there's no seer cabal that controls the price of bitcoin there is an incentive to not sell your Bitcoin unless you absolutely have to your friends or whoever is, you know, having this conversation with you. It's like, if you need the money, sure, sell it, take the profit, go pay off whatever you need to pay off. But if you don't need the money, this is the last thing you sell. Mm-hmm. You sell everything else <laughs> because everything else, in theory, you don't own, right? Like, and this is this is what I've been, as I get in Ubers recently, you know, and working on my pitch to Uber drivers, I've really just honed in on two things. If they are they have an accident of any sort, I'll talk about the remittances and like sending money home. You know, I've had that conversation a couple times in the past couple of days. But then I always move on to like, what do you own? Mm-hmm. And people always think they own something, right? Like I own my house or my car. And then I'll just throw it on like if your house, for example. Okay, if you didn't pay your property taxes, they'll take it away, right? Oh, your car. Oh, if you don't pay property taxes, they'll take your car away, right? Oh, your 
land, if you don't pay property taxes, like if you don't pay property taxes on all those things that you say you own, somebody with guns will come take them from you. And when you say it that clearly, I think foreigners, especially Uber drivers who are coming from places where that has happened, Mm -hmm. it's very clear like, oh, this is a thing that can't be taken away. Tell me more. Because I do know people who had everything taken from them. And I'm like, this is something that you can be forced to hand it over, but they can't just come take it from you. Stocks, bonds, housing, all the other stuff you you own, but you don't. And yeah, but I mean, I'm holding our baby right now, but they could take our baby away from they us. Could it's crazy? They could. They could kick in our door, say yeah, we're say bad we're parents. bad parents, throw him in the back of a car, and now I gotta go convince a court that I'm a good parent. Yeah. And he can't talk. I know. So, like, what? It's crazy the world that we live in that that's, it like, is. a thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people just accept that that's the world that we live in. I I, I am accepting it less and less. Um, and I think Bitcoin really points out, like, just look around at all the things that you think you own. And then imagine you just do the wrong thing and it can be taken away. Yeah, sorry to change the subject, but how cute are Keon's little baby hiccups? Do you think the mic is picking them up? Yes. It's <laughs> But that's really the point here is that you don't own all those things. And so when it comes to Bitcoin, if you have it and you see it go up and you don't even know what it is, if you don't know anything, know this. It's the last thing you sell. Sell all your furniture, sell all your chairs, sell everything. If you're in that type of situation, right? Sell all the other ridiculous crap. Don't sell your baby. <laughs> don't sell your baby. Sell your Bitcoin before your baby. But Wow, that's some great life advice. But, but only right before your baby. <laughs> Right? It's like Bitcoin. Say this and then you're going to take our baby away. <laughs> I put Bitcoin above him. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm obviously not like going to sell my baby. I will sell my Bitcoin. I will sell. Uh, I'm saying I would sell everything before my child. But I would also never, never sell, sell my you child. sell yourself before you sell your child. That would be everything. Exactly. All right. Well, Keon is fed up. Um and he wants us to wrap this up by any uh, closing thoughts on uh, traveling with a child uh, as related to Bitcoin ideology. <laughs> I feel like you always bring stuff back to Bitcoin. What did you think? Uh, road trip with a baby. I, mean, I was very impressed with the way he was just pretty chill in the car. I mean, he, he had a little he had a couple meltdowns at the end of both ends of the trip so i don't i don't blame him i was tired i was having, tired too I'm i sure was having he, a meltdown I, you know my mom always says kian is an empath and so i think he was just feeling our energy probably i really think that's what it was i think otherwise he was like wow i am spending a lot of time with mom she's been holding my hand for 10 hours <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i mean like i'll say this to bring it back to Bitcoin. Not really about traveling with the baby, but where we traveled to. So we went to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and the surrounding area. A couple different beaches there. Um, you know, we live we live in D.C., and so we tend to go to Ocean City a lot. And that's one, like, beach town that, you know, I could talk to or at least have experienced. Um, but the going to North Carolina, going to Wilmington... And like seeing and being reminded of like beach town economies, I really like as I was like seeing how it all played out, like beach towns could really use Bitcoin, really use Bitcoin. And I say that because I was trying to pay for everything in cash. You know, these are most of these are not chains. Most of these are like little mom and pop operations. 
this is the business that they run during the busy season right to like support them through the non-busy season if you got to line out the door but you got to cough up three percent of all your sales to visa that really digs into how sustainable your business is and so at most places i tried to pay with with cash you know or tip people with cash so they don't have to you know if they want to pay tax on it they can up to them um but like lightning and Bitcoin and your money making it to the next season. That's what I noticed was, okay, if you don't raise your prices this season, you might not actually charge enough to survive to the next season. Yeah. Because what's happening, what's going to happen in the second half of this year, and what, you know, what's been happening over the last four years pretty dramatically, but the last 50 years is inflation and the inflation's coming so hard that like you know if you're if you're selling breakfast burritos and the price of eggs doubles but you don't double your price of your breakfast burritos you might go out of business whereas if you're operating in bitcoin as i as i say at the top of the show like what inflation everything's getting cheaper for me so if you run your business on bitcoin you can keep your prices the same but you actually make more money yeah without changing your prices versus less I think that like that's what I was seeing a lot of. I think a lot of people in those types of economies, they're, they're kind of like closed economies, right? Like the money comes in for three to six months and then whatever's there has to survive until the next wave of people come. And so like, yeah, there's probably people that are retired and, and have like, you know, retirement money coming into that economy. But for the most part, it functions on people who don't live there showing up. And if the people stop showing up, or if there's a massive amount of inflation between the last time people show up and the next, you can just see that entire economy get wiped out. And I just, I kept, I kept really, I kept seeing that a lot as we were driving around, which I never really saw beach towns like that before. But that, that would say that's what I like saw on this road trip. All right, so we need a Bitcoin beach in America. <laughs> which beach will it be? I vote Ocean City. I mean, if Ocean City wants to become Bitcoin Beach, I'll 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 support it more than I currently do. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I still think Bitcoin Beach is probably going to exist in whatever state has zero percent income tax. That's probably a good barometer, and it'll probably exist in a state that's a little further south than Ocean City, because Ocean City has winter. <laughs> Makes the summer extra sweet. listening to the show. Now let's get you set up on Fountain so you can start earning money simply by listening to podcasts. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. 
Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin, and keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.